all you sexy witches out there, and welcome to Wii Universe. This is the show where we are playing every single Wii U game in random order, and then we're talking about them, because it's a podcast. It's an audio format. You can hear us speak. It's crazy. What's the deal with airplane food? <laughs> what, what, if the, uh, what if the podcast was we just played the games over the podcast and just kind of had a microphone in the room while we were playing the games? Yeah, and just it, by ourselves. Yeah. Like, and every once in a while, you'll just hear a button tap, and you can hear kind of a faint, like, sound of the game in the distance. That's some good radio. You can hear me kind of adjust my seat, seating position. Mm-hmm. Sort of yeah. Wipe my here's brow. The, here's the thrilling moment. It's the recurring segment every week where one of us gets up to get a drink out of the fridge and then returns. <laughs> and then in the background, you just lightly hear faucet noises. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be good. That's going to I think we've got new ideas for the next uh, whatever the next iteration is. I think it's going to be just this. It's like uh, uh, it's like audio voyeurs. It's like you get to look into the home the home of everyday activities, but you don't get to see anything. You just get to hear. See, I feel like there's like half a million Twitch channels right now that are starting that are just going to be this. Well, actually, they probably already exist and they're probably yeah. all much more successful than our podcast. So. Shit, we just we just invented Twitch is what we did. Okay. God damn it. Oh, I thought we were on top of things. Well, I'm Steve Guntley, Twitch inventor. Hi, I'm Woody Siskowski, living hair enthusiast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited. Today we are talking about Bayonetta and Bayonetta 2. Uh, Two games that I feel a very strong affinity for, like the title character. Uh, you know, she is sexy and confident and covered in hair, and I'm one of those things. So I'm I'm very excited to uh, to to dig into that. And she it, she wears glasses. Um, <gasps> That's another thing, yeah. which it, you know, in your case, makes sense, being as you have very poor vision. Um, exactly, but exists kind of inexplicably, inexplicably for Bayonetta. She's like yeah. this highly powerful demon witch, and it's like, oh, but her vision's not so great. It's like, wait a second, yeah. <laughs> she has the power to like summon gigantic, crunchy hair monsters, but like, uh, she doesn't see great at a distance. Yeah, yeah, you know, hey, everyone's got their Achilles heel, and she's got a couple of Achilles eyeballs, I guess. That's true. Yeah, you don't, uh, you don't want to be getting next to this girl's heels. There is there is pointy or shooty things down there. There's a lot of stuff going on in those heels. There's a there's a lot of stuff going on in this game. Uh, uh, a series of games that uh, I I feel both excited and a little icky to be digging into. And I think that's kind of the emotion that these games are trying to dig out of you, right? Like they want you to be excited and feel a little gross. I don't think I can't imagine that these games are intentionally trying to make you feel gross. I think that it's just a misread of their audience or just a general mm, weird, weird tone. I, I, I'd, I can't I'd imagine argue that, that they're, they're like... Reading, yeah, I mean, I'd argue that they're reading their audience exactly right, but maybe it's not necessarily the read that uh, the audience wants to have. Yeah, okay, okay, I'll go with that. Yeah, because it's it. There's there's a lot of stuff going on here, a lot of uh, uh, gender politics that I think we're going to be digging into a little bit, and and who better than uh, two straight white men to talk about that? Yeah. Um, before we dig into all this uh, high shooting, high kicking action, uh, what else are you playing lately? Uh, I have been playing Poker Night at the Inventory Two. Um, okay. Which I find to be a a good game to play before I go to bed. I am usually not. I don't. I usually don't think that playing games before I go to bed is very conducive to getting sleep. Um, right. But this game has worked for me very well. Um, it's you. It's a fun selection of characters. You get uh, Sam from Sam and Max, uh, Ash from Evil Dead, Brock from Venture Brothers, and Claptrap from um, Borderlands. All right. Um, so this is like that kind of Telltale. Is it Telltale that did yeah. this? Or yep, yeah, yep. yeah. Um and. There's a lot of fun dialogue between them. Um, I think that having enough of that personal touch um, goes a long way because, like, I think video poker is kind of intrinsically a little boring since there's nothing really at stake. And, like, to read a computer's ability to bluff is not all that satisfying. No. Um, so it's kind of all kind they of, do. Yeah, exactly. You're just kind of crunching probabilities of like, all right, what what do I think here? But uh, the dialogue here is fun, and um, there's unlockables, and so like if you get enough chips to unlock all the Army of Darkness um, unlockables, you can like set it in an Army of Darkness kind of level 
Um, and then they do the fun thing where, like, when a player gets eliminated, it does the first-person camera view from Evil Dead where they, uh, you know, get knocked out of the game. So it's got a- enough fun touches um, to make to make me engaged with it. Um, I realize that I've spent kind of a lot of time playing video poker in my life, even though it's not something I consider myself um, a big fan of. Once I was super bored in an accounting class and was just playing video video poker under the table. Oh, wow. <laughs> I I am somebody like you know we've we've talked about this in the past. I need I need games re-explained to me every time I play it. And sure. for whatever reason, card games, the rules for card games do not stick in my head. I have had poker explained to me eight hundred million times in my life, but because I don't <laughs> play it consistently, I don't remember the rules to poker. So I always feel just horribly outclassed anytime I'm trying to play poker. Sure. So, and like, uh, even so if- d- don't try and start a game with me. You're gonna I'm gonna lose all my money. Well, that that's incentive for people to try to start a game with you. Oh, dang. Yeah. Or am I, I mean, hustling the, the them? Rules we don't know. Of, uh, the rules of what poker hands are better than others is like the very baseline of like what you need. And it feels very arbitrary. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of my big concern with it. It's just, you know, and 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 with video game poker, like it's it's the same thing as kind of watching poker games on movies or in TV. It's like, I, I just don't really get the appeal because I don't understand the rules, you know? So sure. it's, it's a little harder to get excited about it. No, I totally but, get but, it. But this, I, this one I was curious about because I love all those characters. I've been on a venture brothers kick lately. And, uh, so been getting to play a, a Brock Sampson video game is that's kind of the only option. If you want to play a venture brothers video game. Well, right? I mean, for what I, you know, for me talking about it now, and I'm not trying to just do a tease here, I don't believe you can purchase either of these uh, Poker Night games anymore. Um, I really? think they've both been delisted from uh, Steam or whatever else because um, you have to pay like renewed, you know, renewed licensing fees for this, and Telltale doesn't really exist anymore. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think, and you know what? Just to be clear, like, Listeners, I don't necessarily think you're missing too much, but uh, if you happen to have it sitting around in your Steam inventory, I think it's it's a fun thing. Or you just, um, it's cool to see uh, Ash Williams interact with uh, Sam from Sam and Max. So yeah, just kind of no, random I'd... little crossovers. That sounds like a fun time. Um, I've I've been just playing a lot of games for the show lately. We're we're covering Metal Gear Solid over on the Patreon show coming up on our last episode. And uh, spoiler for that episode, we're going to be talking a lot because we have some games that are completely ridiculously huge and have a lot to talk about. Uh, but also, I've been digging into those, and uh, that's been kind of taking up a lot of my free yeah, time. Been a, there's been a lot of a lot of gameplay over the past uh, two weeks. Things have kind of coalesced in like just sort of chunky games coming up all at once. Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, uh, I, I have been continuing with my uh, mobile game kick a little bit uh, just to sort of uh, leaven that out. And I was excited to learn recently, looking through my Apple Arcade account, that there is a new Shovel Knight game out there. Uh, oh. It is called Shovel Knight Dig, and it's kind of like the unholy marriage of SteamWorld Dig and Shovel Knight. And well, that uh, that's great. That is pretty great. Also, uh, it's, clear, it's a decent that's, challenge. That, that feels like a very holy marriage. Like, oh, yeah, because I mean, he is Shovel Knight. If you have one franchise with Dig in the title and another one with Shovel in the title, they, they're really a match made in heaven. Well, and here's the crazy thing about Shovel Knight is that he doesn't do a whole lot of digging in Shovel Knight. No, like, he uses like that shovel basically pile. just as a sword. Yeah, yeah, there's, yeah there's rock there's... piles you can dig up, but that's about it. But this one's all about tunneling, baby, and uh, a lot of uh, uh, Scrooge McDuck style, like bopping on bad guys' heads to get to higher places. You know, there's always that awkwardness with like using mobile game controls uh, on a uh, iPhone. Uh, you know, so you have to kind of get over that and just be prepared for a little bit of impreciseness. At least if you're like me with my big clunky thumbs. But uh, I'm enjoying what they've uh, done with it so far. It feels like a natural extension of the Shovel Knight universe. It doesn't feel like just too much of a toss-off mobile game, uh, and I'm, I'm enjoying it. So it's Shovel weird. Knight, dig. It's weird that they haven't just made Shovel Knight 2. Like, it yeah. seems like they wouldn't have to do a whole lot, just come up with, like, you know... I mean, they pumped out six Mega Man games for the NES in, like, yeah. six years. You'd think that they could come out with another Shovel Knight game, which is essentially just Mega Man in... I don't was Shovel Knight a decade old at this point? It's been a bit. I mean, that was I think the second game we covered on Wii Universe. Like so we've we talked about it a while ago and it was already an older game then. 
Uh, you know, so it's it's been around for a while. Yeah, and, you know, I hope uh, Yacht Club is taking the message. We want a lot more Shovel Knight, you know, bring it on, you know. I can yeah. appreciate, though, wanting to parse it out and make it special, you know, like because Mega Man did kind of lose some of its uh, sheen just by by sheer volume. You know, right. we had so much Mega Man for a while that uh, it just started to feel less and less special. But a new Shovel Knight does still feel pretty special. And, you know, and in that note, too, a couple uh timely things about this episode feeling special. Like, I think Bayonetta is a franchise that... uh still feels special there's only been three games in uh i think this is a 13 year old franchise i guess there's only yeah. been two games and yeah, about to be three yeah yeah this is coming out this episode's coming out october 1st um the spookiest the spookiest month yeah um and uh the the third bayonetta game comes out um near the end october of this month 28th yeah i yeah. believe october 28th yeah, so, which and, I did not even know this was coming out until I started researching this episode. I'm like, oh shit, there's a new one. Yeah, and um, same thing I that have, kind of happened with Splatoon three. Like we talked about Splatoon, mm-hmm. and then I looked it up. It's like, oh, the Splatoon is coming out like next week. That's cool. <laughs> and uh, I have never played a Bayonetta game until uh, until now, and so it's kind of cool to get hyped up for the third one because this is definitely. A game I've been curious about for a long time. It's very much a style of gameplay that engages me. I've just never quite gotten around to playing them. Um, So I was glad to finally get some time to sink in with it. Yeah, well, I'm excited to dig into it. First of all, you know, for people who are like, wait a minute, I didn't know Bayonetta 1 was on the Wii U. Uh, it actually is. It is packaged inside the box for Bayonetta 2, but it is on its own disc, so I'm counting it as its own physical release, even though it didn't get a separate, you know, retail release. It was the but same bizarre thing with uh, Rodea the Sky Soldier, right? Where? Oh, right, except that was just them putting the Wii version of the game onto the same uh, disc. But like, thing. Yeah, something really strange yeah, like and that. And I think it may have been only... Um, Certain releases, I'm not sure every release of Bayonetta 2 on the Wii U also included the first game. I think maybe it was like an early special edition or something. I believe so, yeah. Yeah, but uh, but it was packaged in there. So when I say that Bayonetta was released October 24th, 2014, know that that just means that, that was the day it was released for the Wii U and it was released the same day as the sequel. Yep. This was developed by Platinum Games and published by Sega. It was also released on PS3, 360, Xbox One, Windows, and Switch. So we have talked about Platinum uh, a couple times before, actually, but it's worth a quick refresher since I think this is much more of an exemplar of their particular style than uh, the other games we talked about, which for for the refreshers are Star Fox Zero and The Wonderful 101. Okay, one Uh, game we liked and one game we didn't. Yeah, Wonderful 101 is closer to the Platinum kind of house style, but this one is just pure Platinum the entire time. Platinum Uh, Games is like... A pretty important company for like i would say platinum sort of exists on like one click under the major game developers you know it's not quite at the level of a of a capcom or a naughty dog but no. in terms of like influence and sort of critical acclaim and sort of consistency it's it's right up there And that's kind of the crazy thing. I mean, we talk about Platinum Games like they are this big deal because they are sort of like this super group of Japanese developers, you know, that kind of came together to make their own wild visions. But the crazy thing is that Platinum Games has never had a hit. Uh, Even even Bayonetta is like their biggest hit uh, or like Metal Gear Revengeance, I think, is the, the actual top seller that they have in their catalog. But those are not, like, big hits. Right. Um, And so it's just, this is a studio that's kind of been subsisting on a lot of goodwill and a lot of critical acclaim, and a very small but dedicated fan base. But these are not, like, crossover successes. Okay, that's interesting. And I know, like, Nier Automata is a lot of people, you know, really highly regarded game. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That was getting a lot of Game of the Year noise when that one came out. There's a new anime movie that I think, uh, I'm not sure if it's out yet or if it's about to come out, but uh, that's getting a lot of advanced buzz. Uh, But yeah, so Platinum uh, is uh, made up of three rock star developers from Capcom. Uh, Shinji Mikami, who created Resident Evil, uh, Atsushi Inaba, who created Beautiful Joe, and Hideki Kamiya, who created Devil May Cry. Uh, They branched off from Capcom uh, to found Clover Studios, which was a Capcom subsidiary 
that would let them focus on their passion projects. That's where Beautiful Joe came from, as well as uh, kind of cult favorite hits like Okami and God Hand, which now, are both great. Ha- yeah, have you played God Hand? I have. Okay, this game, God Hand is a game I really, really like. Yeah. Um, and I think that the Bayonetta games feel the closest in tone and gameplay to God Hand. It's essentially like the style, like, of Devil May Cry. Yeah. Um, but it is sort of has the customization and the weird off-putting sense of humor of God Hand. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's that's exactly right. Yeah, this plays very Devil May Cry, but yeah, the, the vibe's very God Hand. Uh, so yeah, all of these have very healthy cult followings, but they sold poorly. And after failing to score a major hit, Capcom decided to close Clover Studios in 2006. So the three principals decided to go off and set on set up their own company, which uh, they called Platinum Games, and they set it up in 2007. They struck an exclusive contract with Sega, and they released their first four games back-to-back between 2009 and 2011. Uh, all four of these were critically acclaimed, uh, but Mad World, Infinite Space, and Vanquish all failed to find an audience. Now, I know you've come out in favor of Vanquish, Vanquish right? is That's fun. the slidey one? Yes, yeah, yeah. that's the slidey gun one, yep. Yeah, I and have... again, I keep forgetting which one is the slidey one and which one is like the Inception, like turning the world on its side one. I think that's Brink. Oh, I don't, I don't know that game. Yeah, I don't know. I, I always get those confused. Um, but the closest thing the studio had to a hit during this period was a scrappy little action game called Bayonetta. So Hideki Kamiya was the driving force behind Bayonetta. Uh, He wanted this to feel like a spiritual relative to his Devil May Cry series while still crafting an original experience, to the point that he called the development team on this Team Little Angels, and if you play Devil May Cry, you know that team is called Team Little Devils. So kind of balancing that out. Uh, So his guiding principle from day one was sexiness. I can imagine him like walking into a board James Cameron style and writing sexy on a board and then drawing a dollar sign through the the S because uh, that's really what he wanted to emphasize here. He wanted this game to be sexy and fun and he wanted the main character to exude confidence and feminine energy. And as such, he worked with designers to create his idea of the sexiest woman possible. So I think what we are really seeing with the character design of Bayonetta is one man's particular fetish and, and like, you know, whatever, but no one's here to shame anybody on this, but no, this, this kind of caught me by surprise in the sense, like I knew that, you know, part of Bayonetta is that, you know, she's a sexy girl who runs around and slashes things like that is not really anything new in terms of the world of game design. Not at all. And I kind of just assumed that, the sexiness was a little bit just tossed off and part of it. And like, no matter what sort of quote unquote sexy video game character you're going to exist, like people on the internet are going to run with it and, you know, draw all kinds of different, different arts for it of various styles. Um, But like, no, this game is very much like horny for Bayonetta from the get go. There's a lot of camera angles that specifically pan, like, you know, with her legs spread. And it's like, okay, we're going to pan up right between her legs. And that's that's the part that I have sort of more trouble with. It's it's not the part that, like, Bayonetta is a babe who uses her hair as a weapon, which results in her being naked a lot of the time. Yeah, like, that's kind of at least weird and goofy. Um, it's just kind of the weird sort of slobberiness of the camera is the part that or like it'll be at sort of a weird angle for you to actually see what's going on in a cutscene, So you can kind of look up her skirt a little bit. I have a take on this game that uh, and and how on board you get with this take kind of depends on what you think about authorial voice and how much it impacts the final product and like the gaming experience of it. Because I don't doubt that this game was made uh, from a leering perspective. I don't doubt that this was made from a, uh, a horny perspective, but I think the final product that they came out with feels less like porn to me and more like drag. I think what drag is basically is just a very, very outsized 
kind of celebration of femininity, like a really cartoonish celebration mm -hmm. of female strength. Okay. And I think that's what we're getting here. If you just look at the way that Bayonetta moves, like she's got that crazy strut, like she's got like servos in her hips or right. something, you know, every step she takes, butterflies come out of the ground. Like she bleeds rose petals. Like it's, and, and then she's always just kind of striking these very like fashion-y, uh, uh, sometimes K-pop poses when she's dancing around. She loves being naked. She loves teasing all the men in her life and kind of being unobtainable. She's got an actual honest to God sub in this game <laughs> who kind of follows her around and just takes her abuse all the time. You know, and to me, it felt more like just this big, goofy drag show. And that's why I didn't find it quite as offensive as something like, say, uh, uh, Quiet in Metal Gear Solid Five, who has no reason to be designed like that. And they need to come up with some really kind of ridiculous reasons to excuse why this character is in a bikini the whole time. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I think that it it is such a focal point of the game and the design of the character that it doesn't feel like it only exists for titillation. It's like an exploration of the concept of titillation. <laughs> yeah, it kind of loops back around itself like the snake eating its own tail. It is it is like It's an Ouroboros I, of horniness. Exactly. The hornobornos. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's uh you know, and and I'm not trying to let them off the hook here because I don't think this was the intention. I'm not calling this a feminist masterpiece by any regard. And I think that uh, these should, you know, and, and again, I don't want to seem uh, prudish or anything like that. I don't want to seem like shamey about any of this. I just think that there's too much representation of women in video games kind of in this cartoonishly sexy form. Well, but this goes so far over the top that it feels almost parodic to me. Yeah, and I mean, that to me is more of the issue is like, I think there's definitely plenty of places for like just openly horny games. Sure. Um, but that becomes much tougher when there's not a fair representation of women in games that just isn't openly horny. You know what I right. mean? Right. And, and was... we don't have many like uh, uh, horny games made by women, you know, like if we had yeah. the flip side of that coin to kind of level things out, that would be better. But since it's such a male-dominated field, it feels like, you know, Gilded and the Lily a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it exists very much similar to, like, um, you know, race portrayal in films where it's, like, the issue isn't necessarily that it's always bad to have, like, a, an Arab character play a terrorist. The yeah. issue is that that is almost the entirety of roles that Arab actors would be offered. Exactly. And it's like if the, that was more normalized to just have people in more, you know, usual roles, um, that would not be as big of an issue. Right. You know, and so th there's there's a lot to discuss and debate about this game. Uh, you know, I will say for whatever it's worth, this character was designed by a woman, uh, Mari Shimizaki. Uh, she gave the character a beehive hairdo to kind of suggest a witch's hat mm -hmm. and her signature glasses because she wanted this character to convey intelligence as well as setting her aside from, you know, the very many other female protagonists who are just kind of bombshells. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I mean, mean, I think she, this puts she... Bayonetta on a tier with, uh, I mean, there aren't there that, that many bespeckled characters. It's like her, Gordon Freeman, and Lester the Unlikely. And I think that's <laughs> that's the, the big three, you know? Yeah, no, she's, I and mean, she's well-designed. Like, she looks very distinct um, in both of these games and clearly has thought put into her design. Yeah. So Bayonetta's power stems from her magical hair, which we've already mentioned. So, like, it looks like she's wearing a leather bodysuit, but in fact, that is all just hair that is wrapped around her into a tight weave. And when she needs to, she can summon demons out of that hair, which means it'll go away from her suit and into the demon form, which means we get a lot of opportunities to see partial nudity of Bayonetta <laughs> during the fighting process. So, you know, I that's mean, about it, as sexy as it gets. Yeah, it, it, it's pretty teat teasy like it, it yeah. never you never really see anything all that explicit um, oh no no which, which is fine but um it is funny to have like most of these special moves involve like a giant hair foot with high heels coming and stomping things or a big hair fist and i'm it's yeah. like uh oh this is a direct line from uh the battle toads so it, totally <laughs> clearly totally, bayonetta but... is a half breed of a demon and a battle toad it's it's more uh, it's a direct line of people who uh, had some kinks awakened by the Battletoads. Uh, I think <laughs> yeah. they're I think they're they're cycling back around to that. Yep. 
So uh, Hideki Kamiya in, uh, insisted that Bayonetta have four guns, uh, which uh, they are called uh, Parsley, Sage, Rosemary, and Thyme, which I like that. <laughs> um, and uh, with, But that created kind of a design challenge. So like they're, they tossed around a lot of ideas like, okay, does she have four arms? You know, does she have like... Uh, guns attached to her hips or like doubled like quadruple barrel guns what a and they weird find... um like what a weird timeline to go on to start with the idea of this character should have four guns like yeah, she needs to be st- sexy she needs four guns and it's Those like wait two things wait wait a second why does it need four guns because like what they settled on is that she would use guns as like stilettos right exactly yeah she has she has gun feet she has uh two guns that she holds in her hand and two that kind of clip to her shoes and you'd think that they would have started with that idea like what if she had right. weapons on her shoes and then you're like oh yeah four guns but no it's like four guns where do we put those other two guns and really you're not necessarily feeling the four guns you know you're not really feeling like you have four distinct guns on you because you're never firing four guns at the same time it's either you're shooting them from your hands or you're shooting them from your feet so it is still kind of two guns at a time but it makes her distinctive i'll give her that uh so bayonetta was originally released for xbox 360 and ps3 in 2010 so platinum focused primarily on the ps3 port while a company called hex worked on the p oh excuse me the other way they uh platinum focused on the 360 port while another company would focus on the PS3 port. And upon release, critics noticed a huge, huge discrepancy between the two versions. So the 360 version was kind of like, holy shit, this is game of the year contender. This is one of the best action games ever made. The PS3 version uh, was plagued with long load times, stuttering frame rates, mistimed audio, and just generally poor presentation. And Hideki Kimiya considers the PS3 port uh, to be his company's biggest failure. Oh, interesting. Um, I didn't know that. And that is the version I played. Uh, the first time I played this game, I, I rented it, uh, and I played it in a single day because it's not a very long game. I think it's about a six, seven-hour game, uh, So, and I, I had less of a life then. <laughs> um, but, you know, so I, I played through the entire thing on the PS3, and then playing it again now for the Wii U, I'm like, oh, I'm noticing a massive difference. Uh, the thing that stood out in that PS3 version is that there's, there's maybe a 10-second, 15-second load time every time you press Start. Oof. Uh, which really drags things down. And like, yeah, sometimes like I had just kind of assumed a lot of the missed audio cues were just kind of poor dubbing, but I think it, it was uh, significantly worse than that. So and- this is one of those games where it really does matter what version you play. And it's also one where the PS3 version is markedly the worst option. Interesting. Well, this game is quite available now. Yeah. Um, I think the thing that's odd is that this Bayonetta is now sort of a Nintendo exclusive starting from the second one. Um, So it's resulted in this first one being ported to a bunch of different systems, but the second and third one you are only available on the Wii U or or the switch. Um, Because like now this game has been remastered and you can get it for your computer or a PlayStation 4, Xbox one. And I'm sure I'm sure those are probably the definitive way to play it because for, for a game that is as old as this one, like a lot of the textures look kind of rough just yeah. running around. Like this game is not a fantastic looking game, even by like PS3 standards, I think. Yeah. This first one in particular, I think uh, has a couple of rough edges around it. Um, you know, this game was very heavily marketed at the time. Sega produced a feature length anime movie, a comic book series or a bunch of print spots. And this was being hyped up by critics a lot, too. You know, they got early versions. They all really liked it. Uh, And this was the best-selling Platinum Games uh, title at the time uh, in that it sold more than a million copies. But that was still considered to be a pretty dramatic uh, disappointment for Sega, who had some, like, they had some real hopes to hang a huge franchise on this. And uh, that just didn't quite come together. Uh, So the version we're playing today came packaged with Bayonetta 2, like we said, uh, and it's pretty much the same game as the 360 version. Uh, it runs a lot smoother than the PS3 one. Uh, it does have a couple of new features, including some touch controls and a couple of sexy costumes based on <laughs> Nintendo characters. You get a Peach, a Daisy, a Link, and a Samus costume, which I was kind of surprised that they would loan out some of their Nintendo characters for this game. I know, uh, like Nintendo... Well, at this point, when this got ported to the Wii U, which it had probably been out for five years, I think it had been out for five years at that point, um, you know, Nintendo may have signed an exclusive deal with it, with, um, yeah, that's the, tro- that 
like Nintendo was sort of all in on Bayonetta. Someone at Nintendo yeah. must have played the first game and been like, this is great. This somehow this fills a niche that we want at Nintendo. Because I want to talk about like real quick. This is a really weird franchise to be Nintendo published. Um, that it, it really is kind of a shocking thing for to be a Nintendo exclusive. Like, I mean, we'll get to Bayonetta 2 in a minute, but like you see a little Mario sprite in the beginning of Bayonetta. And I'm like, wow, they're really they're letting that be in this game, which is uh, not only like overtly sexual in its themes and its presentation, but also I would say gleefully blasphemous. Yeah. It's themes. Uh, the the theme of this game of this series is uh, beating the fuck out of angels. <laughs> like that's really that's the logline right there. Sexy lady uh, has stompy, kicky uh, time with angels yeah. from heaven. Totally you know, heaven, the place good people go. <laughs> uh, you know, so it's 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 a pretty wild thing for Nintendo to adopt as their own. Much less like port into like they they brought this character into Smash Brothers. Yeah, like that's pretty wild. No, and, um, you know, it it makes sense. Um, I think, you know, for decades, Nintendo has simultaneously been walking the line of being like, yes, we are a company that is friendly for families. Um, and yeah. we are like kind of the Disney of video games, but also, you know, not wanting to fall into that thing that Sega was able to bully them into of like Nintendo is for babies, you know? And yeah. so they have to figure out that way to have a franchise that feels a little more adult, but is still up to the standard of quality that they want. Um, and I guess once they saw Bayonetta come out and maybe not sell as well as, you know, Platinum had hoped, Nintendo was like, all right, we can jump on this and probably get this franchise for somewhat cheap and yeah. uh, really do something with it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. And we'll we'll kind of dig into some of the motivations behind it. Talk a little bit about this first game. Like, I, I, I was I, I was trying to write down the plot of this game and then immediately realized, like, I, I am not going to wrestle with this thing because yeah. I think this game, for as many cutscenes as it has and as much lore that's dumping on you kind of all the time, I don't think this game is particularly interested in its story and I don't think it's even attempting to be cohesive. The opening title crawl, like, where you're actually hearing a lot of the backstory about all this war between the angels and demons is being played through a voiceover while you are on a clock falling into the ocean shooting a bunch of angels. You can barely hear it. There's this bombastic music going on overhead. You can't read the subtitles because otherwise all these angels will chop you in half. So, like, I think they're trying to distract you right from the get-go with how dumb the story is. Yeah. It's really aggressively dumb. And, and that was something that I struggled with a little bit, is I don't think that this game does a particularly good job of telling the story. Like, no. it really just kind of throws you into, like, here's Bayonetta, like, she's running around having adventures, but, like, most of the story itself and her history is told via flashbacks. Um, yeah. But it's flashbacks that give you very little context. And um, I think that thing at the beginning of having you fight while a narrator tries to explain the backstory is not a very good idea because no. if you are interested in explaining story to us, like present it in a way that we can actually pay attention to it. And if you're not interested in having any story, um, don't spend time trying to explain it. Like, right. And, like, why are we bothering? And like these games, especially at the beginning are certainly not, you know, metal gear solid levels, but are fairly hefty on the cutscenes. Yeah. Um, and I found the tone of pretty much all of the characters in these cutscenes to be irritating. They're all, they're all extremely yelly. Yeah. And they're, all, you know, they're all kind of garish and they're irritating in different ways. Bayonetta is kind of irritating because she's always sort of glib and catchphrasy and yeah. never seems to take anything seriously. She's got kind of a um, inf demon informant named Enzo, who is kind of like uh, if Gilbert Gottfried and Iago was like the lead. Um, yeah, and it he's, would he's just uh... wear on you. He's got a bit of a Joe Pesci kind of thing where he's this. Uh, it's implied he's kind of like a mobster, but. He just sort of follows you around the, uh, for both of these games, like getting yelled at and swearing, and he's he's always just screaming and falling over. And then your other character is, your other main character is Rodine, Rodan, 
Rodan, yeah. Um, who's the shopkeeper for Hell, and he's perhaps the least irritating because he talks the least. Yeah. Um, but he's still kind of a stereotype, you yeah. know. He's just sort of like a black exploitation character, uh, you know. And I did like that he uses his thumb as a lighter. Yeah, he just that like was cool. lights cigars, you know. I mean, but like, I agree that the tone of the the characters and like the things they say are obnoxious. But when these opening cutscenes were happening, I'm kind of like, all right, I'm pretty on board with this stupid shit. Like, this is, uh, I remember playing this game the first time back in 2010 and like just turning my nose up at it the entire time I'm playing <laughs> it. Like, I'm just sort of like, oh, this is so dumb. Games are art. Don't they know? <laughs> Everything should be art. And now I'm playing it like 10 years later. I'm just like, everything should be this. Like, every <laughs> game should be this stupid and this fun and just have this this level of complete disregard for physics. Yeah, and bo uh, both of the uh, Bayonetta 1 and 2 have the same structure where they give you a prologue, um, which is just this sort of completely bananas like um cuts or sort of uh giant battle where things are flying all around you and it's like you're just totally overwhelmed from the beginning and then like the game actually after you complete that the game actually starts and then like the pace slows down a little bit um but it, it really like they're pretty overwhelming at first they are they are but i mean we first meet Bayonetta like in a cemetery dressed like a nun and then a bunch of angels come down she strips down to her black leather and she starts impaling 10 of them at a time and like running up the sides of walls all while like uh, fly me to the moon is playing in the background and it's it's just really kind of giddy and fun and like it sets the tone for what kind of game they're trying to make this this isn't even trying to be as serious as devil may cry this this feels like uh, just wildly ridiculous anime stuff. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think that the core here and like all of the positive things that um, this game has going for it, I think stem from like the combat just being really, really satisfying. Yes. Um, you have three main attack buttons. Um, you have a punch, which is kind of your light, quicker attack a kick which is a little slower and more powerful and then you just have a weapon button um, which is mostly to the default your sort of rapid fire pistols um but the you have a ton of combos just with sort of the main punch and kick button um and most of that is done via like taking a little pause like if you go punch 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 and then wait half a second and then kick um, you can sort of unleash a powerful uh, boot stomp, a floppy boot stomp um, out of the sky. And it just, it all flows really nicely and looks really cool. Um, and it's just, Bayonetta is just a very fun character to play as and control, which for a game like this is basically everything. It's kind of all you need, yeah. you know, yeah, because uh, like we said, the story is uh, inconsequential. The characters are ridiculous. Like everything is just wildly over the top. And all of that would grate so much more if the game didn't play so well. Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, it's just it's just incredibly smooth. And you don't even fully understand everything that you're seeing all the time because it moves so fast but you do feel like you're in control of the action yeah for sure uh, in, a, in a significant way and you have a dodge button um which has another satisfying gameplay element of if an enemy attacks you and you dodge just at the right time you'll trigger which time uh which what time which time oh which time yeah <laughs> which time uh right now right now yeah, which time when um, October. October is actually the official uh, witch time. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, I agree. Which just kind of slows uh, slows down your opponents for a little bit. And in this first game, um, much seemingly much more in the second one, you or much more than in the second one, you have to use witch time to uh, complete a lot of puzzles. Quote, yeah. unquote, puzzles in the sense that you know exactly what to do, but they're just kind of little hindrances. It's like you need to freeze time long enough to run across some water to get uh, across a, a gap, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Uh, and uh, this game also has a weird mechanic. Like, there, there's a lot going on in those three simple button mechanics. Like, in the load screens, they give you an opportunity to practice all these moves. There's a little counter on the right side of the screen that tells you how many times you've executed this move. So there's kind of a fun little, like, mini-game element to these load screens that I appreciate. Yeah, and I like it just, that. And it shows off just, like, how much you can actually do with this goofy-ass little system here. I liked that you can, like, rotate the joystick and then uh, uh, press one of your gun buttons 
to basically like just start like going over the shoulder and start shooting people in a circle around you. Yeah, I like uh, that too. That is, didn't seem to make it into the second one. Am I wrong? No, it didn't really. Um, and I think they kind of tried to streamline a lot of different things. And it, uh, admittedly, it is a clunky mechanic to try and like trigger into, like doing that little swirl when you're in the middle of a fight. Yeah. But, you know, it, it was fun and I enjoyed the style of it. And I mean, just every little thing is just dripping with this style, with this with this hyper energy, with just this crazy uh, uh, approach to everything that they do. I mean, you can pick up weapons that your enemies drop, and most of the moves that Bayonetta is doing with them are very sexual. Like, <laughs> you know, if, if an angel drops a spear, you can pick up that spear and you'll start pole dancing around it and kicking everybody around you. You know, it's it's wildly over the top. Yeah, um, it's a good, definitely a good beat em up mechanic. I will say, like, one thing I was not crazy about um, in either of these games is the enemy design. Um, yeah. I think that it is always, you know, very weird. Most of these angels are sort of a combination of, like, mm, dragons and stone faces. It's like they have two things going on simultaneously of like big sharp wings um but also like weird stone faces that are often upside down. I like uh, that they're going for this idea of like, you know, when you talk about biblically accurate angels. If you ever look that up, mm. the idea of an angel in the Bible is that it's supposed to be so terrifying you can't really comprehend what you're seeing. Okay, okay. And that's kind of the vibe that they're going for with these angels to make them look more menacing and just make it feel like we're not beating the shit out of Christmas tree toppers. That's fair. Though I do I do think like for what I what I really think about these kind of hack and slash and just any game that has lots of combat mechanics, I think it's always more satisfying to beat up things that are more relatively humanoid. Um, yeah. because we can kind of relate to it and you get a little more of a sense of like, ooh, that looks like it would really hurt. Like when you send an enemy flying across the map in God Hand, you, you really get a sense of the impact. Um, yeah. Whereas here, since there's just like sort of a lot of headless centaurs, um, it's a little harder to both sort of anticipate what their attacks are going to be because like it's a form you're not familiar with. And then like, the actual sort of violence of Bayonetta has like these torture attacks where um, occasionally like a quick time event will trigger and then you can press these two buttons and like put your enemy into an Iron Maiden mm -hmm. are, mm, I guess, less visceral than if it yeah. had been a form that you more recognize, which is, you know, maybe for the best because Iron Maiden. It might be. Cool. But uh, yeah, I that that was all I, I, I I'm with you. I on got that. a I'm little sick of the weird enemy design. Uh, and I, you know, I'm, I'm, I think I want to transition a little bit to Bayonetta 2 because I think that's kind of the the game that's more relevant for the Wii U, and I think it it uh, is similar enough to this first mm -hmm. game. Um, so I'm not going to go too much into the details of of the the rest of the gameplay here because it's going to kind of uh, cross over sure. here. Um, so let's talk about Bayonetta 2. It was released October 24th, 2014, just like the first one, developed by the same people. Uh, and this was only released on the Wii U. Eventually, it was ported to the Switch, but this is a Wii U exclusive, and that's a big deal. That is a big deal. Uh, it is safe to say that Bayonetta 2 happening at all was a bit of a surprise, uh, kind of across the board, uh, including to Hideki Kamiya, who stated that he did not think this game would ever happen since the first game had underperformed. Sega had a initially greenlit as kind of part of the production deal a, a sequel to Bayonetta, and that's why they were going in so hard promoting it, trying to make it a thing. Uh, but so that game was already kind of a little bit in production, but then once Bayonetta one underperformed, they, uh, canceled it. And that was about it. Platinum's contract with Sega expired in 2012. Uh, and that kind of left the future of the company up in the air, but luckily Nintendo liked the cut of the company's jib and they <laughs> gave them, uh, they gave them a chance to develop a few exclusive games for the Wii U, which we already mentioned. Uh, and once again, these games were not huge successes. I, th I think Star Fox sold pretty well, but that's about it. Well, yeah, uh, that's but I mean, a, it's a Star Fox game. And a big seller on the Wii U is yeah. not necessarily a big seller anywhere else. Um, so, but once again, um, yeah, uh, Nintendo was desperately in need of a hit for the Wii U. By 2014, they were already kind of in dire straits. And they particularly needed a hit that would play with older audiences. You know, a lot of the hook of the Wii U when they were first announcing it was that they were going to bring back the hardcore gamers who were kind of turned off by the shovelware and by the kind of kiddie nature of the original Wii. 
And they hadn't really been able to develop or to, to deliver on that promise yet. So they wanted something a little harder edged that uh, older gamers would show up for. And Bayonetta's reputation had only kind of grown in the years since its release. You know, a lot of people still talk about it as like a really high quality game. So Nintendo made the surprising announcement in 2013 that they would fund the sequel and release it exclusively on the Wii U. So that announcement was a surprise to fans who were initially concerned that Nintendo was going to sand the edges off the series, well, with its, you know, blasphemy and whatnot. <laughs> uh, but Kamiya confirmed that the game would be M-rated and they would not skimp on the gore or the TNA. And as if to prove it, Nintendo marketed the game with a photo shoot in Playboy with uh, a cosplayer and model named Pamela Horton playing Bayonetta. Uh, and I can't think of any other Nintendo game that would be marketed that way with <laughs> Nintendo's consent. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Bayonetta was even added as a playable character to Smash Brothers in 2016. So that just showed that they still have some uh, 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 attachment to this character. Now, Nintendo was hoping this would spur new interest in the Wii U from older gamers, but it didn't really do much to reverse the system's fortunes. Uh, this game received pretty universal critical praise. It's actually one of the five highest rated games on the system if you're looking at Metacritic. Uh, but the game failed to sell even a million copies on the Wii U. And there's a Switch port released in 2018. That did better, but it still wasn't like a spectacularly huge seller. Uh, but even still, like the critical reception and uh, the, the fan love for the series has been enough. Like we said, uh, Bayonetta 3 coming out in just a couple of weeks, going to be exclusive to the Switch. So Nintendo is still kind of all in on this character. Yeah, that, uh, that it's really surprising actually to hear how little these games have sold. Yeah. Um, just because I think of them as kind of major games, just because I hear about them a lot in like, like I said, I haven't even spent much time playing with them, but I'm like, oh yeah, Bayonetta, that's like a big deal. And Bayonetta 3 coming out is a big deal. Um, so you would just think that like they were bigger hits than they were. I mean, it used to be kind of just understood that if your character was being put in Smash Brothers, it's because you're one of the elite. You're one yeah. of the the gaming icons, you know? I think that's that's lessened a little bit because I don't know if anyone could tell you who Pyra and Mithra are <laughs> or you know, characters like that. But, but yeah, I mean, it, that seemed to be... And this felt like it was going to be a bigger deal. I remember reading a lot about this and thinking, like, this is going to be the thing that that brings the Wii U back. Uh, but no, it never really happened. Um, but yeah, this plot continues the series' uh, dedication to being completely incomprehensible, this time <laughs> with the added layer of a lot of Norse mythological figures. Uh, and so, yeah, this one, I, again, I'm not really even going to try and go too much into it. I think this one is a little easier to follow, um, yeah, because it's not built as much on trying to explain Bayonetta's backstory, and there's not yeah. as many flashbacks here. But like, you know, any any concerns you might have about Nintendo kind of uh, PGifying this game are pretty much done away with with the first shot, which I believe is Bayonetta's crotch. <laughs> uh, if I'm not mistaken, it is her spread eagle uh, shooting people with her leg guns. Sure. Uh, and, you know, there, there's immediately some F-bombs being dropped in the opening cutscenes, and, like, lots of violence and lots of blasphemy. You know, it's, it's undeniable that this game kind of follows the same beats of the first one, almost note for note. Like, it's kind of following the same uh, 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 trends and everything. But y you think you're above it. You think you're going to be above it, and then you're playing this opening cutscene where Bayonetta strips naked, she starts beating the hell out of a bunch of angels while on the back of a Harrier jet flying over <laughs> Sixth Avenue while a techno remix of Moon River is playing in the background. And it, it, you think you're better than it, and then you're, you're going to crack a smile. Like, it's hard <laughs> not to, like, be a little delighted by how ridiculous and dumb this is. Sure, sure. I mean, yeah, this is very much, like, I do think that this is an improvement over the first game, but in generally, like, pretty subtle and minor ways. Like, yeah. I think that, I, based on my understanding of like the reviews um, and sort of consensus, I assume that this was going to be a big jump up. Um, and I don't really think it is. I think Pete, this series has just generally um, found its place sort of over time. Like, I think this series does the very smart thing of really has paced out when the next games are coming out. And like, obviously that is, not so much a you know creative choice as much as like a financial one of they can only afford to you know fund a game that won't sell very well every few years right um but it's like 
I think when the first Bayonetta came out, people were like, yeah, this game's pretty good. And then by the time Bayonetta 2 came out, everyone had sort of really turned on or like really felt like, oh, Bayonetta, that was one of the best games of the last generation. And we're really excited to get a new one. Yeah. And like, I think similar thing happened with Bayonetta 2. It's like now that Bayonetta 3 is coming out, everyone's like, oh, Bayonetta 2 was so awesome. Um, But really it builds very small on the first game like yeah you know, there's a lot of the same characters all of the basic controls are the same which i have no complaints with because you know it was a very smooth game yeah and if anything like in keeping with uh themes of bayonetta like bayonetta 2 feels kind of stripped down it like, does um you you don't have that sort of go wild with the gun rotation attack um there's seems to be slightly less moves in general i don't think that the lock-on mechanic is used nearly as much no um, not really as it is in the first one and there's not um quite as many like little environmental puzzles to deal with no but i found it like it is one of those weird things where it's like you can't really point to too many things that are different from the first game but it does feel better it just mm -hmm. feels like you know i think I think they've refined the art style a lot. I think this game looks pretty fantastic. Yeah, this game and like, does look much better than the first one. I'm I'm also kind of extra angry at all these Wii U games we played that have these stuttering frame rates because, like, holy shit, why, they have no excuse. <laughs> no excuse. If you can pull off this game on the Wii U, you have no excuse. There's an early scene where you are, like, fighting a dragon on the side of the Empire State Building, and it is lunging in at you, and sometimes it's massive, and it's it's covered in all these textures, and it's taking up all this space, and you never lose a second, you know? Even when you summon your own hair demon to crunch into this giant <laughs> dragon and crash it into a building, uh, you, you don't lose a frame rate. Uh, and, and I think that's a pretty amazing achievement. Like, if this game slows down you kind of lose a lot of the appeal. That's why that PS3 port was kind of so disastrous for the series, because it it's it's uh, stripping away a lot of the essence of what makes this game work. Right. Uh, and I think this Wii U game really uh, makes a good argument for this hardware as being kind of of a piece with its console counterparts. Yeah, you know, that's I think fair. We have, we have a tendency to think of it as a lesser than, but I think it's capable of, of pulling off a lot. I think it was usually a lesser than because it was developed it was ported to as an afterthought it's like things would be designed for other systems and then try to get shoveled onto the wii u whereas something like this that they knew right from the beginning was only going to be on the wii u they can really focus on making it run smoothly and there's something that like i don't know if i am irritated by this or admire it but for a wii u game there's absolutely zero zero effort put into implementing any gamepad uh, uh functionality well, other than like touch screen like fighting you can did, tap to fight but there's that's markedly worse yeah like, there's that, no, that, that was i don't a, think anyone would play it like that, that was a very strange addition like i i messed with that briefly just to see what it was like um, and you to do that, you essentially have to be playing on the gamepad because it's very difficult to look at the TV and touch the gamepad. Yeah. Um, and it's it's essentially like playing the game on like if you were to play it on a phone. Right. Um, it's you essentially take out any of the aspects of sort of timing and combos. You literally just press on an enemy and then like Bayonetta will just do some random combo. Um, and then you press on a different like the game probably is much easier um because but it like, also felt immediately less tactile and satisfying yeah 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 and it, and it also feels like this is a game that requires a lot of pretty heavy button mashing and like going back and forth in combos and stuff like that and trying to do that with the stylus on a flimsy touchpad does not feel good no for sure like no, i mean you'll you'll just tap once and bayonetta will be do some sort of in-depth combo it's still like very visually impressive like if you wanted to impress a friend by how good you are at this game um have them look at the tv and just play it on the touchpad and be like look at all this stuff i'm doing i i just like in general i enjoyed exploring this world a little bit more uh bayonetta kind of exists between realms so like you're walking around in a world and you can see the shadows of human beings but you're never going to be able to like interact with them or hurt them in any way but you can fuck up their shit. You can like go up to a coffee cart and blow the hell out of it and see the, the shadows running away in fear like because they don't know what the hell's happening. And you're finding lots of little details kind of hidden throughout the world, you know, like 
I I walked in on uh, uh, two people like making out on a bench, and then I shot the bench, and they ran away. Okay, <laughs> you know, sure. like little details like that. I love that you can turn into a panther at any moment yeah, to uh, navigate the world addition. a little more easily. You know, you get your butterfly wings earlier here so that you can fly around a lot more, which is a much uh, which is a very fun segment. I think that you can even um, you you in both these games you can buy a pretty hardy selection of additional weapons or special abilities in um, the Gates of Hell shop managed by Rodan. Um, and one of the abilities you get in this one is to turn into a crow, which is essentially the panther in the air and be able to fly around, which is pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, and um, uh, Rodan returns. He's got this store where you can buy new weapons and techniques and, and things like that, which helps keep the gameplay mixed up and fresh. So Because all of these... All of your weapons are going to have their own like special uh, superpower hair attacks, you know. So yep. it's always going to look different. Uh, it'll give you a good excuse to mess around with different options. It was um, this was like the interactions with Rodan in the store were the moments where the game felt the laziest compared to the first one, because like you have to most of the things you buy there are the same as yeah. what you bought in the first one. And to me, it always feels a little weird to have to like rebuy powers that in theory your character should have learned in yeah. the first one. Um, yeah, exactly. It's the Metroid thing where they always need to come up with some weird excuse for why she doesn't have her abilities anymore. Yeah, they even use like basically the same cutscenes whenever Rodan like goes to get a special weapon. He'll like go through a portal and then come back all bloodied with the weapon. Uh -huh. Um, and yeah, they use basically the exact same cutscene as they used in the first game. Um, and the other thing that's a little odd is like half of the cutscenes in this game, um, are sort of done with this weird mix of still images. Um, but like that slightly move, like it's kind of a slideshow. Yeah. yeah. Like the camera will move and the characters will move a little bit, but there'll be like no voice acting. Um, and not much of a pan between characters and like, you know, I get that it's a cost saving mechanism and the fact that I've learned that like, this is not necessarily a high budget, big selling game yeah, definitely makes more sense. Um, just when you, I don't know, when you think of a sequel coming out five or six years after the first one to see it reusing a decent amount of those assets and cost saving measures feels a little lame um, but it also feels to me a little bit like with each of these games because it wasn't that big of a hit it feels like they're kind of reintroducing it each time it's yeah, like all right well they weren't ready for it in 2010 let's see if 2014 are you guys ready for this yet no okay all right we'll be back in 2022 uh so i imagine bayonetta 3 is going to play quite a bit similarly to these two games That's as true. well and, and because it, it just hasn't it hasn't taken a foothold yet yeah, and it, I mean, it was the thing of like, oh, you're using the remixed version of Moon River on your prologue again? And it's like, well, yeah, not that many people played the first one, so yeah. we're not worried about I mean, about it was that. a different song. It was Fly Me to the Moon last oh, time. It was a different moon song. Sure, so different moon song. I, I, I don't know what what's the next moon song. When a moon hits your eye like a big pizza <laughs> pie will be the next one. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, that is a moray. I don't know well, if you've heard. That's a moray. Walking up. Oh no, I was gonna say, say "Walking on the Moon," but that's a different uh, that's a different song. Got confused. That's that's the Weird Al version of the Smash Mouth song. It's Weird Al on a very lazy off day. Yeah, Weird Al phoning it in. I guess yeah. he's he's still torn up about Coolio. I guess. Uh, R.I.P. Coolio. Um, yes. Uh, I mean, I I just I had a hell of a time with Bayonetta too. Like I. I replaying Bayonetta 1, I enjoyed it a little bit more than when I played it the first time, but there was still something about it that left me feeling a little cold. Whatever it is, whatever strange alchemy they've got going on with Bayonetta 2, I think it just kind of clicks better. It it just, uh, uh, they're, they're leaning into their excesses. They're having a lot of fun. I think the, the fighting system feels really tight and really refined, and they're not trying to mess too much with what worked. Yeah, the in, the inventory is just like, generally cleaner there were a lot of times in the first bayonetta where i felt like i had to use sort of the witch concoction mechanic to make uh to make health potions and then like use those health potions also the first game has a couple um terrible like quick time events or spots where like a boss will sort of shoot lasers at you and you have to press y at a certain time and it's like you fail you die instantly Yes, I they've done like away with those three yeah. times in a row there, um, which really made me mad and really broke up the um, the sort of speed of this game of the first game. 
And the second game, yeah, just flows a lot better. There's not as many things that break up as you just kind of go from one crazy combat segment to the other. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it just kind of clicks in a, in a way that I find really satisfying. It's kind of hard to define much better than that, I think, but you know, it's, it's a series that definitely has some issues that you need to sort of uh, let settle, you know, whatever, whatever approach that you take to it, I think is valid because there's a lot of stuff here that I think is, you know, pretty demeaning and also some stuff that seems pretty it it feels pretty harmless to me in terms of um just how over the top it is like it goes into a place where no one would ever expect a a woman to behave in this way you know like it 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 becomes a parody of itself in a way that i find kind of redeeming but yep. your mileage may vary with with some of the content here but uh but I, I had a hell of a good time with Bayonetta 2, um, and uh, I would recommend it. Fair. Yeah, I'm, I was glad to finally get an opportunity to get around um, to play these games. I think the Wii U is a fun way to play Bayonetta 1. I think it works perfectly well. Um, and one of one of only two ways to play Bayonetta 2. So um, yeah. I'm excited to play more of these, and I'm also glad to hear that they're both pretty short. Um, they are. And maybe I'll uh, cruise through them and be ready for Bayonetta 3. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I think I will be as well. Um, all right, well, do we want to move on to our rankings? Yeah. Absolutely. Do you have yours locked and loaded? Yeah, I'm ready to go. All right, all right. How about you go first this sure. time? Sure. Um, I liked both of these games. Um, they, I found the, I found the vibe annoying, um, but... Also, it's no more annoying than other games that I have, you know, been pretty generous with, such as Devil's Third or Ninja Gaiden 3. Sure. Um, there's just this one just came off as a little vocally louder than some of those other ones with some of the side characters and more of an emphasis on cutscenes. Um, but like the gameplay is better than either of those games. Like um, Bayonetta just is very fun to play as. Um, I'm going to put uh bayonetta 2 which i do think is a slightly better game um at number 11 um which is right behind the steamroll collection ahead of shovel knight um and bayonetta the first one will just go right under that i didn't get far enough in bayonetta 1 to sort of uh notice much of a difference and notice those uh roadblocks um yeah but uh i i think either of these are great so yeah I, I, I'm with you on that. I, I, I'm weirdly putting it, uh, in similar places, but at higher rankings. Yeah. I think, uh, Bayonetta two, I thought was a real treat. Uh, I'm going to continue playing it. I'd like to finish it out because, uh, I'm, I made some good progress. I'm about four hours into it, which is probably more than halfway. Um, and I, I'm just really having a good time with it. I'm putting that at number seven, which is, uh, underneath Shovel Knight and above Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze. Uh, Bayonetta 1, I do think, is a, a bit of a step down. I think it is still a game that uh, holds up in terms of its mechanics. Uh, some of its clunky exposition and some of the gameplay choices they make don't really hold up quite as well, but I still think it's perfectly solid. Uh, so that's going to be my new number 16, which is underneath SteamWorld Collection and above Minecraft. So uh, a couple of fun little wacky, uh, wacky games here. Uh, very enjoyable. Definitely check these out. Uh, we have one letter this week, um, which I am going to read now with my mouth. Per perfect. Yeah. Uh, hey, Steve. Hey, Woody. Hello. Hi. Uh, at the end of your last show, you talked about whether or not there is a need to make games for girls or if there isn't simply a wider issue in the gaming community. I completely agree, but wanted to give you the perspective of my five-year-old daughter. I've been patiently waiting to play Zelda with her and even bought a few plushies of Link and Zelda, and she was really super excited when we booted up Wind Waker for the first time together. The excitement died down uh, when she soon realized she'd only be playing as Link. Ditto when I showed her Mario. Where's Peach, she asked. Do we only play as a boy here, too? Mm. So, yes, Nintendo makes great games for everyone, but it would be great if my daughter could choose to play as a girl instead of a guy rescuing a girl. I mentioned these two series as you name drop them as great examples of games for everyone, and that's exactly how I felt as well until my daughter's reaction. Anyway, I love the show, and that's from Mike, and that's an interesting perspective, and that's something I think we miss. Like, that is, these are games that are kind of uh, uh, for everyone and everyone can pick up, but they do tend to still favor the male perspective, specifically the 
male rescuing a female perspective. That's and true. The, the the strongest female character in uh, Nintendo's canon is Samus Aran, and I think those games are just a little too advanced for younger girls or younger boys. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I think that's a really fair point, you know, and I think that would be something nice to see Nintendo start to implement. And maybe uh, Tears of the Kingdom will we'll start addressing that. There's a lot of rumors flying around about that game. Yeah, it would be, there would really be, it would be pretty easy to put a, uh, allow you to play as um, Zelda or Peach in some of these games and not have to change sort of the base mechanics of them very much. Yeah, I, I do think would be a nice option. Uh, yeah, I, I do think that that can be easy to forget about is like, you know, part of playing video games is having an avatar who you feel like represents you. Right. And um, it's easy for us, you know, white dudes to just assume that like all that, you know, as that kind of being the, the default yeah, um, which is, you know, totally not the case. So exactly. Exactly. So I, I appreciate that. And man, yeah, I, I would love to keep hearing from people, uh, especially female listeners. I would love to hear a little bit more perspective on that. Because especially I, I don't, fi- five-year-old female listeners. Especially sure, five-year-old female. Who I'm sure uh, really enjoy our product. That would be an adorable letter. I'm just saying <laughs> that would be really cute. Um, all right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Be sure to tune in next week. We are going to be talking about a little blue guy, uh, a little blue guy named Sonic the Hedgehog. Oh, OK. I thought two... we were playing a Smurfs game. I you know, we do have a Smurfs game coming up, not to uh, not to upset you about that mm-hmm. or anything, but we are going to eventually be playing a Smurfs game. But no, this time we're playing a uh, kind of a more iconic blue guy. This is uh, going to be Sonic the Lost World. And Sonic Boom, The Rise of Lyric. These are two games that I'm sure capture exactly what Sonic the Hedgehog is, uh, exactly the way that we all remember it and love it. Uh, well, so, can you tell me the title of that second game again? Sonic Boom, The Rise of Lyric. Wow. Another yeah. game composed of random words. Game title. I know nothing about this other than uh, people were upset because Sonic was given a hipster scarf. Uh, <laughs> so that's... That's the thing that people were upset about with Sonic's scarf. So okay. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe it, it, maybe it's bad because of that. I'm, I'm sure it is. Yes, absolutely. And only that. Uh, all right. So I'm excited. We'll talk about some Sonic next week. We will see you all later. Shooty, shooty, gun feet. <laughs> <laughs> Just put it on the box. Bayonetta 3, shooty, shooty, gun feet. <laughs>